Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland is coming up in the second half of the pod, and I'm just going to tell you right now, at the very end of the pod, Lance has his weekly question, and you are not going to believe what he suggests for your Thanksgiving leftovers. I'm not exaggerating this. I actually told Mary Kay and Ashley about it, and they were like, they couldn't believe it. So got to stick around. I want some of you out there to try it. I want people to report back. Um, so that's at the very end of the podcast. Before we get to Lance, before we get to that, let's set up the week. The Browns play the Broncos on Sunday. The Browns are now a half game out of the number one seed after Kansas City's loss on Monday night to the Eagles. So anything is possible right now this season. Let's set it up with what we're watching this week, what we're getting ready for. Mary Kay, why don't you start us off? Well, you know, when we get out there on Wednesday, and this week we're not even there on Thursday. So we go on Wednesday and then we go on Friday. But when we go out there on Wednesday, I'm going to be very interested to hear from Joe Flacco. Joe, Big Joe is in the house. I've spent so many years uh, writing about Joe's record over the Cleveland Browns, which stretched all the way to 17-3 and three, uh, before he left the Ravens, and then 18-3. and three. Uh, when he went out and beat the Browns last year with that epic, epic comeback for the Jets in week two. Um, so Joe is Joe is in the house, and Deshaun Watson, as we now know, went out to L.A. and had his surgery today. They say it was a successful surgery. I've never really seen a statement where it says it was not a successful surgery. I've only had one experience with that in my 30-year career, which we'll talk about that another time. We probably talked about it before, but, um, so he had successful surgery and, um, it is my understanding. And I've written this a number of times. They want him to rehab out in LA as long as possible. They don't want him flying back and forth because of swelling in the shoulder and those kinds of things. They want him to remain out there and just get as well as he can, as fast as he can. The good news for the Browns is they're heading to LA and we're going with them. That's good news for us too. But um, but anyway, so he will get to spend some time around the team in the next 10 days or so because they are going to be out there after they play in Denver. So that's what it's all about for me this week, seeing what's going on with the quarterback situation, seeing how Joe Flacco is integrating into the program, seeing you know what we can see in the locker room and on the practice field, 
and just how this is all going to go. He's on the practice squad, but I think by the time they get to Denver, that he will be promoted to the active roster and be the number two. Yeah, that's kind of the that's the interesting thing because obviously they can elevate him like they did with PJ Walker. You get three elevations before they actually have to put him on the active roster. Um, so we'll see kind of how they handle that if they just put him on the active roster, or if they elevate him, whatever they want to do. But I mean, Ashley, it's going to happen eventually. He's going to be on the sideline. He's going to be the backup quarterback. And we talked about it a little bit in the post game. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge for Kevin if Dorian Thompson Robinson struggles. Kevin has never had a quick trigger when it comes to replacing a quarterback, uh, at least since he's been here. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't anticipate that changing anytime soon. But if this offense kind of continues to operate in a phone booth and they need to open it up a little bit, it will be an interesting. I- I'm curious to see how Kevin approaches that. Um, kind of giving Dorian Thompson Robinson enough leash to continue to develop, but also understanding, like I said off the top, you're a half game out of the one seat. These games are really important. Yeah, I'm really curious about this too. I mean, I think largely in part because you alluded to it there, but like I don't think Kevin did a good job at that during the last year of Baker's time, right? Like I I think Baker's 2021 season after the shoulder, his leash was – far too long. I mean, I complained about not pulling him from that Packers game after he threw multiple interceptions in the first half um, at the time. And I do think DTR is a little bit different, right? Because he's younger. You kind of know what his role is. You know, you want him to be your backup long-term. You do want him to develop, but like, I definitely think it's possible. We see Joe Flacco at some point, you know, I think Dorian, I rewatched that game. Like really it's, no shock, but that last drive, the game winning drive that he led where he completed those four passes. And and the only technical incompletion he had was when they spiked the ball to stop the clock. Um, You know, I think that ultimately bought him another week really, because, and I do think too, we do have to account for what Mary Kay has been saying since Sunday, there were all those drops. David Njoku played a terrible game and got on the chugs machine after. So that didn't help. And I am curious to see what he looks like, outside of the vacuum of that game where those drops were happening. But, you know, ultimately if he, you know, has another moment where he looks overwhelmed, like in Baltimore, like, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's, it's a possibility that we see Joe Flacco out there playing at some point this season. And Mary Kay, everybody's going to say the right things and Joe's going to say the right things. But I do wonder, like, did Joe Flacco really decide to sign here in November just so he could sit on the bench? I, I mean, I'm sure that's, I'm sure the Browns would love it if DTR just finished out the season, continued to develop, looked like their their backup quarterback of the future. Um, but I do wonder if there's a part of Joe Flacco that, like, did he really come to Cleveland so that he would sit on the bench and not play in these games? There's got to be a role for him somewhere. You know what? He came for a chance, and that's what guys in his situation do. You come for some money, and you come for a chance. And that's the same thing that Jacoby Brissett uh, went to Washington for. He went there for the money because he got nice money out of the deal. Uh, but he also went there for the chance to start football games. And you know what? They're saying there's a chance. I mean, right now they are going to stick with DTR. But if he goes out there in Denver and they're not going to be able to score points with him, and if he throws interceptions and he can't get the job done, then they'll turn to Joe Flacco or whoever else at that point. Um, but that's basically, that's the plan that they have someone that can step in ahead of PJ Walker. That's basically what's going on. They wanted an upgrade over PJ Walker. If they wanted to play PJ Walker, they could have played him, you know, by now last week or this week or whatever. They, 
that, you know, he, he is going to be their third quarterback. Um, so that's basically, you know, when we talk about uh, the fact that Joe Flacco signed, you know, if, if it's, if you see it written or said, you know, that he, he's the third quarterback, that means only in number of quarterbacks, not in pecking order of quarterbacks, because he's not coming in here to be behind PJ Walker. That's not happening. Yeah. And I, I guess part of, I mean, I, I suppose there's an outside chance that they get to this game Sunday and Joe's not quite ready. But like you said, Mary Kay, I would be, I, I'm in the camp that I think he'll probably, probably be the backup by Sunday at this point. Um, okay, Ashley, what are you watching this week? Yeah, you know, I'm really curious looking at this Broncos team. Like, I think it's important to note for people, fans who maybe haven't been paying attention to them. Like, this is a team, I think, that's not as bad on surface level as they looked initially, right? Like, people might think of them as the team that gave up 70 points to the Dolphins and lost, like, five of their first six or whatever it was. But they've won five of their last seven. They've won four in a row now. Um, Russell Wilson throwing for maybe not a ton of yardage, but throwing for a decent number of touchdowns. But one thing I think it's almost like to me, when I look at what this defense is doing, they don't have a good pass rush like the Steelers. Um, that's definitely like a weak point of their defense, but what they do do that is very Steeler-esque is take the ball away a lot. They're tied for two in the lead in the league right now. They have 19 total as a team. They give the ball away a bit more. I think they have 13 giveaways, I want to say. But they've had one takeaway in each of their last seven games. So I think what I'm watching is how do they handle like a very similar, I guess, challenge for this Browns offense, having to deal with a defense that, you know, doesn't have that pass rush, but does take the ball away and capitalize on mistakes. Yeah, I feel like this week, Mary Kay, we're going to have a better idea of what this offense will look like with DTR um, because this isn't the Steelers. This isn't the Ravens, um, you know, so you want to open it up a little. But like Ashley said, Denver can take the football away. And like you said, that's not what you want DTR to do. So they've got to find that balance. But I do feel like these next few weeks, this offense under DTR is finally going to have a little bit of room to breathe, which again, this is like the balance podcast with Kevin Stefanski, right? He's got a balance, maybe wanting to to see what he can get away with, with DTR, but also you don't want to give games away. And Denver's that type of team that the Browns should beat them. I'm actually surprised. I don't know if it's changed, but I'm a little surprised the Browns aren't favored in this game. You should beat this team, but if you mess around too much, you could walk out of there with a loss too. Yeah. You know, I think people were lulled into a false sense of security uh, that the Broncos were just horrible this year. And as of right now, I think they might actually be the hottest team in football in terms of their winning streak, their four-game winning streak. I don't know if anybody else uh, has a winning streak like that right now. So that means something. And then when you look, and they beat some teams during that winning streak as well. Uh, they are not just beating, you know, the little sisters of the poor or whatever. They have, um, they've beaten the Chiefs during that time. They've beaten the Bills during that four-game winning streak. They've beaten the Vikings with Josh Dobbs during that winning streak. Uh, so even though they lost five of their first six games, uh, they have won five of their last seven. And, and that's pretty remarkable. 
So, um, you know, so definitely something to watch. And then again, when you look at Russell Wilson, he has 19 touchdown passes against only four interceptions this year. So he isn't really throwing the picks. Now, having said that, when you face the Cleveland Browns, you're going to throw some interceptions. You're going to probably throw at least one interception. Uh, you can almost count on that against this football team. So that will be something to watch. But, you know, under Sean Payton, who we all knew was a really good coach heading into this and hadn't lost it, um, you know, Russ has climbed to number three, number three in the NFL with a 104.3 rating. And that has a lot to do with the fact that he has only thrown four picks. That's pretty remarkable for 10 football games. I mean, think about that. Uh, let me look and see where that ranks in terms of guys that have played that many games real quick. That um, is, oh, it's not coming up where I can look at it quite like that. But um, let me see. Yes, it, it is tied for the fewest interceptions for quarterbacks who have started 10 games. So that's really good. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a lot to think about this game. Not only that, they are heading into Denver. I mean, that is not going to be easy going and playing in Denver. I haven't looked up the Browns record there, but I can't imagine that it's very good. It always seems to be very difficult to play it's, there. You've got to travel. We, we, watched them, we watched them go and lose to Brandon Allen there in the Freddie exactly. Kitchens year. Exactly. That's a, loud, that's a loud stadium. That's a very loud yeah. stadium. It's loud, and it's going to be cold. I mean, cold. Um, and right now, the Denver Broncos, even though their conference record is horrible, it's two and four. That's bad. Um but they're five and five. And so they can climb back in this thing. Like they can get up in there. They're out of it right now. They would be the 10th seed right now. So they're the, the third team out of the top seven in the playoffs. But, you know, stranger things have happened for a team uh, that's five and five. So, um, so, you know, they just have to keep plugging away at it. And uh, their, their record the rest of the way probably isn't all that horrible considering that they were bad last year. So, you know, they have a lot to play for. They've got a lot to fight for and the Browns are going to have to go out there. And I think they're going to have to score more than 13 points. I really do. I think they're going to have to score more than 13 points and, um, you know, and, and show a little bit of flair, some kind of a little bit of flair on offense. Now these guys aren't scoring a bunch of points either. I mean, even in their victories, they have scored, well, they scored a lot over the Bears, but in their other victories, 19, 24, 24, and 21. So it's not like Dorian has to get into a shootout with Russell Wilson, but, you know, they're going to try to make him make some rookie mistakes and make him throw the ball. And he is going to have to outplay a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. I mean, this isn't, this isn't Seattle Russ anymore. But this also isn't the Russ Wilson from a year ago who looked like, I mean, we talk about worst trades in NFL history. I mean, this one, 
up until recently was certainly in that discussion too when we talk about uh, some recent quarterback trades. But Sean Payton has figured it out. He's kind of figured out how he wants to do this with Russ Wilson. And I don't know if this is going to be a, a long-term marriage between the two or if it's going to last for another three months. But, um, you know, they, they brought in a really competent coach and he knows what he's doing. And Mary Kay, you picked him like eighth in our coach draft or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why, because he's a good coach and, and he knows how to win and he knows how to figure it out with a quarterback. And so that's what makes this game interesting. And And the way that they've kind of won these last two games is it's sort of been a little bit ugly, a little bit low scoring, and then they get a rust drive at the end. And sometimes they get a 12 men on the field against the bills that gives them another chance for a field goal. So yeah, this is not a pushover. This is not a gimme game by any stretch of the imagination. Like it looked like after whatever week three or week four. Um, so, so this is going to be a tough one for me. I just think, I mean, let's talk a little bit big picture here because I've mentioned it a couple times with Kansas city's loss, Baltimore is now the one seed at eight and three. And then you got one, two, you got four teams in this order, Kansas city, Jacksonville, Miami, and Cleveland all sitting at seven and three. Um, of course the Browns and Jacksonville play in a couple weeks, Miami. I think I haven't looked at it, but they've got a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. Uh, so that's interesting. The Browns certainly don't have a gauntlet ahead of them. Houston is sitting there at six and four right behind the Browns. But I mean, don't look now. Ashley, the Browns are right there. Like the, this team is right there for like a for the first round bye. It's crazy to think about, but we've talked about it a bunch on this pod. With this defense, anything feels possible. And with this schedule coming up, if they can take care of business, maybe we are talking about a team fighting for the one seed in the last couple weeks of the season. I mean, it's so true. It's crazy to think about because you look at the Browns, you know, in general, right? And it's like this team could just as easily be nine and one right now or five and five based on how some of these games have gone. And I think they're really lucky to be sitting at seven and three, especially considering their last two games have come down to last second field goals. And I do think that is the thing. This defense can keep you in just about anything. It is truly that good. Um, And I think that their philosophy of the other team can't beat us if they can't score you really see it every Sunday. I mean, I do think ultimately they do have to kind of work everything out with this offense, with DTR in at quarterback, that it might be hard, you know, to fight with the upper echelons, ultimately offenses of the AFC for those top spots. But I'll tell you what, with how close everything is right now, it's working out in their favor. I think this is exactly where you want the rest of the AFC to be if you're Cleveland right now and everyone kind of lurking around that seven win mark at this point of the season. So last year, Minnesota went 13 and four and they won a bunch of one score games, right? Which is a really fickle thing. It's not Mm -hmm. something that's really sustainable. Um, The Browns are kind of doing that right now, right? They had the San Francisco game. They had the Baltimore game, this Pittsburgh game, but also Mary Kay, Minnesota did not have a single unit on their on their team that was as good as this Browns defense. Like this Browns defense is legitimately like one of I mean it's the best defense in the NFL right now. Minnesota certainly didn't have that last year and that's the thing. Like if you have at least one part of your team where it's like this is the best in football, you got a chance to be really good as long as the other parts of your team don't screw it up. And Kevin Stefanski has certainly adapted his offense to a point where he's willing to play that field position and let his defense do what they need to do to to win them games. 
Yes, absolutely. And what they have to do, though, is I think uh, they have to keep their their foot on the, the gas pedal, because as Ashley was pointing out, um, you know, they've won on some last second field goals. They've won four games in um, on a, a on a winning drive in the final two minutes. Um, you know, they they won a game where a kicker stepped up and, you know, they let up the the game win potential game winning field goal drive and the rookie kicker for San Francisco missed the kick. And it is true that right now, instead of talking about Kevin Stefanski as coach of the year and getting an extension, if three or four of those things would have just not gone their way, I mean, easy little things like a guy making a kick, um, you know, if those things had gone a, a different way, then people would be trying to run him out of town right now. That's the difference between winning and losing. That is, that is how small the margin is and how narrow the margin is. But certainly the Browns do have an amazing defense and they just have to keep it going because um, again, Russ, now Russ has been sacked 32 times. That's a whole heck of a lot of sacks. So he can be sacked and he's going to have to try to get the ball out quicker this game uh, or they're just going to be all over him. But, you know, he's a better quarterback than some of the ones that they have faced And, um, you know, there are going to be games this season where it's, it's not going to be a walk in the cake, right? I mean, they're not going to get Clayton tune again, you know, I mean, there, there are going to (laughs) be, that's a Butch Davisism. Um, you know, there are going to be some easy games, but there are going to be a few games here and there, Jaguars, um, you know, this game against the Broncos on the road. CJ Stroud is going, is going to present a challenge where, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to be tested a little bit. I mean, that last game in Cincinnati, obviously that has changed dramatically for them uh, without Joe Burrow in that game. So, um, but they do have, as you mentioned, the best defense in the NFL and they just, they're going to have to ride it. They're going to have to ride it right to the playoffs and wherever they can go from there. Yeah, I think I think there's really only like one true like Clayton Tune game left on this schedule, and that's the Bears. Um, like they should be able to handle the Bears without a problem. But everyone else, like it's not that they, I mean, like they should beat the Rams, they should beat the Broncos, they should beat the Jets. But there's outside factors where, like, even that Jets game is a Thursday night game, and Thursday night games are awful. They're terrible to play. Weird things happen in them. You just never know. And that Jets defense is pretty good. So that, you know, there are games that they should win that they'll be favored in. But again, sort of like this game, if you mess around a little bit, if you lose a little focus, if you just make the wrong mistake at the wrong time, that's when a a game you should win turns into a loss. So you're right. There's no, it's fun to count up wins, but in the NFL, we've learned over and over again, you can't just sit and count up wins. It's really hard because these are NFL players on the other side too. Uh, But it's going to be fun. This team, like I said, is seven and three. They're right there. So the, the sky's the limit at this point. What, what was it Deshaun said a few weeks ago? The sky's wide open. <laughs> you know what? I mean, it, it really is. It, it, it really is. And when, when you look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, who knows? These, I mean, the number can be big in terms of how many wins, but they have to play um, well enough on offense that they're not giving the ball away. That's the whole key. 
They just have to keep winning the turnover battle or at least not losing it by too large of a margin. Um, as long as they get clean quarterback play, they can win these games. Yeah, Mary Kay, you and I both picked them to go 11 and 5. Or no, yeah. what is it, 11 and 6 now? We both picked them to go 11 and 6. Right. Who knows? That could end up being low. <laughs> right, exactly. I, we'll see. We'll see how these things go. Okay, uh, that we're going to take a break. On the other side, Lance Reisland is going to join us. Um, and again, you've got to stick around to the end because Lance has just, I, I can't even, I don't even want to say too much. Just know that Lance has a food recipe for you or whatever you want to call it that is going to just blow your mind one way or the other. So stick around for that. Uh, Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are now joined as we are every Wednesday by Lance Reisland to look back on the film from the last game. Lance, how are you? Doing very well. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Kind of ready for Thanksgiving. Not really ready for Thanksgiving. I'm actually wondering if your question today might have something to do with Thanksgiving, but we'll get to that. Um, Let's start with Dorian Thompson Robinson. There was some good. There was some not so good. There were a lot of drops. Overall, what did you think of Dorian Thompson Robinson's performance on Sunday? Well, I thought it was really good. So I go, I go to Kevin Stefanski. I thought the plan uh, was really, really good. So if you look at like that first drive, they had zone, they ran a zone, they ran a quick screen, uh, they ran a lot of slants. Those those slant arrow reads are really, those are one man reads. Those are really easy. The thing I really like though, if you look at their first touchdown, they played complimentary football. So I kind of went back through, and they had a bunch of these during the game, um, but they had a uh, had a, had a set of plays where DTR, um, they get a first down, they go one back, they go power, they go third and three, they go pin and pull on that first drive. So they go quarterback design, run, pin and pull, get a first down. Uh, then they go quick screen, easy, no read, get the ball out. Then it's a slant, easy, one man slant. Then it's power. Okay. The next thing I like is that you had an option route drop by Najoku, but then instead of pushing the ball vertical, they threw a screen, didn't get a first down. But what they had done is they had flipped the field. Then Biocres punts it to the nine. Browns almost get a sack. They punt it back to the 50, right? Then they they come out. They go wildcat. No pressure on them. Then they run a boot like we had talked about last week. Njoku gets 18. Then they run a slant arrow. He hits the arrow. Again, very easy read. Um, then they go power for 14 yards. Uh, the thing about like a couple things they do, they had Harrison on the boot. They had Harrison on the power. Uh, so they <clears throat> they ran the easy power looks. Um they ran wildcat, wildcat to get it to the one. So they just made life easy on them. And I thought that was really important to get it going. And what we had talked about last week, they, they protected the defense at all costs. And that's what they really did, in my opinion. And DTR did the same thing. So there was almost nothing downfield in this game. And I'm not sure if that is a product of DTR and an ability to throw downfield uh, you know, I remember in the Baltimore game, although I feel like judging anything off the Baltimore game is unfair. I, I just remember him leaving some deep throws short. I don't know if it was a result of that or if it was just a result of we don't want to leave this guy with long routes and TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith bearing down on it. Why, why do you think they didn't attack downfield more? Well, I think you just said it. So first of all, you get rid of the ball under 2.8. It's hard to get home if you have no one blocking you. So they did a lot of rhythm. A uh, lot, tons of rhythm throws, slant arrows, quick screens. Those are all rhythm throws, easy throws. Uh, the boot waggle, it's high to low. So all the stuff that's really easy, regardless of coverage, uh, it helps those offensive linemen. The other thing is, and when you said the goods and bad from the first question, when he starts to get in trouble is when he holds it, um, like a lot of quarterbacks. But then he starts going through these reads, and then he's late. 
Um, and when you're late, that's when bad things happen. The Steelers missed a couple picks because he was late. So that's what I think happened. You know, you, you take a couple shots, he's late. Um, they had great rhythm. But once again, I think the whole, like we talked about last week, the whole game plan is kind of like what's working, what's going to be successful. Um, and, you know, it's easy to call plays when you're thinking, I don't have to go down and score. The ball is on the 20. I got to get it to the 50. Because if I get it to the 50 and we don't get a first down, now it's going to be first and 95 for the other team. That's so much different when you're calling plays, and that's so important for DTR to understand. And that's that's really – that's like when I put it back up when I was coaching in high school. It's like you just don't want huge mistakes so you don't kill your defense. And that's what I thought – that's what I thought he did. But the the stretching of the field, that's – you're up in the ante now with mistakes. And I just think they kept him out of those situations that did not set him up for failure. So one of the things I like to to look at as we talk about these things is, right, how sustainable is something? Because obviously, okay, that was great. You got to win over Pittsburgh. You led the game-winning drive. You got seven more games you got to play. And you're suddenly you're fighting for the one seed. You're a half game back of the one seed. But you're also, you know, you still got to fight to stay in the playoff picture. So this is a long way of me saying Pittsburgh in the second half made a pretty clear adjustment. They decided they weren't going to let the Browns run the ball. And it felt like they were sitting on everything that DTR was throwing. Um, Is Denver going to basically come out of the gate and do that? Or is there an adjustment that Kevin Stefanski can make to make sure that they can still run the ball, that they can still, you know, get the passing game moving a little bit, even if it's not super explosive? Is there an adjustment there? Or is it just a matter of like, hey, they don't have to face the Steelers pass rush again. So maybe things will open up a little. Well, this is where I think Stefanski's the best. So, you know, everybody self-scouts. So they went in, they watched that game, and now they're saying, all right, what's what's Denver's prep? And they look at that second half. So here are some of the adjustments that are going to happen for Denver, and we'll talk about this more for Thursday's pod. You know, is that Friday's pod is that now – so you got to throw the ball a little bit more on first down, but you got to be careful. So you throw a little bit more option routes inside of the tight end, maybe the backside of the backfield. You run the levels concept because then you're showing run. So a lot more play action on first down because even if you – uh, run play action, there's going to be a ton of people in that box for Denver because Denver is really poor at stopping the run. Uh, they've given up, you know, 5.5 per rush this year. So they're going to have to ante up in the in, in the box. So play action on first down makes easy reads, high to low. Option routes, Njoku, they don't cover the tight ends. Hawkinson had a big week. You know, so there's some things they're going to do that, they, you know, we all self-scout. So they're self-scouting saying we got to do this. And then you can start looking for some double moves. And the good thing about double moves is uh, Cooper is one of the best at it. And it allows for max protection. So now they can fake this run, uh, get people sucked in, safety's down inside the box, and now you got Cooper one-on-one with max protection. So not only do you get good max protection, but you get double moves now. People sitting on routes, their safeties are out. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of adjustments, but this is what I think Stefanski does really well. He's a masterful game planner. Um, That was about as good as a game plan as you'll ever have in that first half. And then they hung on, and I think you and I said it. They're never going to look great. There's no ugly wins, but that's how the wins are going to be. And I think you got to make a big play. You got to hit a double move, a, a sluggo, a hitch and go, an out and up. But that's what I see coming. Play action on first down and some double moves uh, with max protection off play action. I promise no one hit play on this podcast and expected to hear this next part, but we're going to do it. You really liked what you saw, what you saw from Jaron Christian in that game at left tackle. Um, and Jaron Christian is going to be the guy over there uh, for at least until Christmas, because that, that's about how long Jedrick Wills is going to be out at least. So um, it's going to be the Jaron Christian show over at left tackle, you know, especially if James Hudson still has to split time at right tackle. If Dewan Jones isn't back to hundred percent, what is it you like about Jaron Christian so much? 
Well, I think he fits the mentality of the Browns offensive line a little bit. Uh, he's really nasty. He, tr- he He's a max effort guy. But the thing I, you know, I went back and watched when you asked that question today, and here's what I saw that you see when he's in the game. You never see those splash plays that us as coaches get so excited about when a Jed Wills or a big tackle or any, any position when a guy makes a splash play. When a guy makes a splash play, that's what you expect all the time. And I don't think Christian can get to the level, the ceiling that Wills can get to. But we also know uh, Wills has had some issues with run-throughs and total missed assignments and, um, you know, just some lack of effort at times and bad body language. And even though his ceiling's so high, and I don't think they should quit on him, but I think what Christian gives you, especially with this Browns and this, we got to win at all costs and we got to do it whatever way is necessary. We got to run it, pass it. He does not. He's always going to give you a C plus, B minus. He's never going to give you an A, but he's never going to give you a D or F either. And right now, that's what that tackle needs to be. You know, they ran a lot of power away from him. Uh, they helped him a little bit in pass protection, but he's pretty solid on pass protection. They're going to have to help him a little bit. He he gave up a couple inside moves a, a lot. So people watch that on film, and they're going to do some inside moves on him. But what I like about him best is that he's just, and it's, it's this is a compliment, but he's just boring. So you don't ever hear about the tackle. You never hear about it in the run game. You never hear about it in the pass game. That's really what you want out of your special teams. That's what you want on pass protection is you don't want to hear about these guys. And when you don't hear about them, that's so you're you're holding your end of the bargain. And then those three guys inside, the two guards in the center, can be dominant. And that's what he did. He doesn't let any. He doesn't. He doesn't kill anybody or maul anybody like Teller or Batonio or Posick. But what he does is he does a really good job getting in the way. He does a really good job of maxing his effort out. Sometimes he gets into the guy really good, but he's never in a bad spot. He never has a run through. He doesn't rarely has a blown assignment. So it tells you he studies. Um, he's really boring, and I really like it. Because that's what you need as of that tackle right now. It's just to make sure that you're not the guy making the glaring mistake. And I thought it was interesting when the Browns made this move. And I looked back at his history. Uh, we've, we've mentioned this on this pod before that he, Bill Callahan was the offensive line coach in Washington when they drafted Jaron Christian in the third round. So he knows Jaron. He knows what he does well. He knows what he struggles with. And obviously it didn't work out for him in Washington. He's been a little bit of a journeyman uh, ever, ever since. But, and, and also it's, it's worth noting he played against Pittsburgh earlier this year when he was in Houston. So he kind of knows the Steelers uh, a little bit. He was splitting time at, I believe it was left tackle in that game. So um, I, I think Bill, Cal- Bill Callahan, knowing him, knowing what he's capable of, knowing how he can kind of utilize him, that has to have helped in this situation where you've got to bring a guy in and you're on your fifth tackle, sixth tackle, like you're just cobbling this thing together right now. Having a guy that your offensive line coach knows is really helpful. Well, this goes back to what you and I always talk about, the offensive line and that uh, the detail, attention to detail Callahan has. So so they get this guy and they say, you know what, he he understands our system and how we work it. He understands how practice works. He understands practice plans. He understands what his role is. Uh, He believes in, you know, Callahan is a star in your role, whatever it is, star in your role. So these guys come in. He understands what he's got to do. He understands the assignments. Uh, He understands who he has. You know, when you look at a Callahan offensive line, the first thing they know is that they know who they have. And then they rep the skill. So they kind of work backwards. A lot of people work the technique. They know who they're supposed to block, and then they work the technique, which is why they're so good. But him having, obviously, him having some knowledge of what Callahan wants in in this scheme. Uh, But the Browns coaches do a really good job of setting those guys up for success. You know, you look at Hunt. Hunt kind of is like now the finisher, right? So he's he's the, you got him, you know, kind of weakened, and you come with Hunt a little bit. And, you know, they're kind of getting their roles set in, you know, after losing these stars. But, Christian just kind of fits into that mold, right? He's not going to be the star. He's not going to give up a big play. Uh, he might get beat 
um, one-on-one, but there's a difference. You, you, as a coach, you can live with getting beat one-on-one. You can't live with a blown assignment. He just doesn't have many blown assignments. And there are times where a guy's going to be better. And then when the good thing about the Browns, they know that somebody will be better and they're going to help him with a chip or a tight end or something. So um, I think he fits the mold perfect what they need. And uh, he's going to be tough to move out of there moving forward. Okay, let's talk about the Browns' defense again. Another great performance from them. Uh, really only gave up that one big run. They were dominant in this game. And Kenny Pickett said something after the game that I thought was interesting. He said um, that, the you know, obviously we know the Browns play a lot of man coverage relative to the rest of the league. Uh, but on Sunday, Pickett said that they threw more zone at them than they expected. Is that what you saw when you went back and watched the defense? Yeah, I thought they're going to play a lot more man, which goes to show you how good Schwartz is. So what Schwartz said was, you know, we're good enough defensively is that, you know, me and you had talked about Warren and how good he is, and he's really good, right? So the thing that they did is that they said, all right, we're going to let you, especially on these third down longs, we're going to rush with our guys. We're going to bring some pressure, but we're going to play soft behind it because we think we can rally and tackle. And they could against everybody else. They struggled with Warren a little bit, but I, I told you in the pod last week, Warren is a nasty runner, and he's been like that every film I've watched on him. But they said, you know what, we'll let we they feel that Pickett um, likes to throw those checkdowns. And then Schwartz just kind of said, you know what, we're good enough. We're going to make him throw the checkdowns and then come make tackles. And that's what they did. And that was really impressive. Um, they didn't get caught and they didn't want to. I, I think they didn't want to give up the big play uh, to Pickens again like they did. So if you think about it, they gave up 74 yard touchdown. They only gave up 165 total yards without that run. So you take that run out, they're under 200 again, you're 165. So they were really dominant besides one play. And in the past game, they mixed it up a little bit. So, again, they didn't play a lot of different zones. It's just a one high hat, three kind of match match quarter kind of thing. But it wasn't really fancy. Um, but it's something that he wasn't expected, which make him through the check downs like he likes to do. And then they rallied and tackled. And the thing about their defense, they are playing at a different speed than anybody I watch. And I've, I'm getting to the point where I've, I'm seeing all the NFL teams a bunch the Browns defense is playing faster than anybody else in the NFL right now. They're the fastest defense right now that I, I watch on film. And, you know, early in the game, the Steelers threw, I, I don't, I don't remember the exact play, but they threw something kind of wide and it was sort of a, you know, get out in space and make a play. And it was just so slow developing. It was kind of a Matt, a classic Matt Canada play. And I'm watching it. I'm just thinking you can't run, you can't run that stuff against this defense. You can't run slow stuff. You can't run things that are going side to side and not developing quickly. Like this defense just closes too fast and, and they run to the ball too fast. Well, I'll tell you exactly what that play was. That was a, they were an empty. So they were in three by two and then they ran motion to quads and they threw the swing pass to the quads. Now, the interesting part about that is probably why Matt Canada is not around today is they got that look they wanted down below. They got, when that guy went in motion, they had one-on-one coverage because the Browns brought six on first down. So they brought pressure. Um, but when you watch anything, it was they brought six and then they tackled with three. But what it really looked like with the Browns speed right now, is it looked like they brought eight and they tackled with eight. And that's kind of what you're getting. But what the Browns have to be careful is, is just giving up that big play. And well, again, I, I know we tech, I texted you, that's going to happen. They're going to give up a big play because they're in man coverage and they're so aggressive and they're going to get caught once in a while. That's the nature of the beast. But like, that was a classic case of like, Take the hitch. Take the hitch to Pickens because it doesn't. You don't have to pass or protect very long, and you got your best player in space. And they didn't bump ward with them. They had confidence, and you know they're playing with such confidence. You know, and you asked me that question. They just do what they do. They didn't make any adjustments for Pittsburgh. They played a little bit more zone, but they, they, the, they made the Steelers adjust to them, and they couldn't. Okay, it's time. I need to know what the question of the week is this week. 
the question of the week is, and, and it's funny because we were teaching this today and I'm like, I changed it up a little bit. The question of the week is, what are the top, what are your top three Thanksgiving Day foods? What are the top three foods that you would have that are a must at your kitchen or, you know, your dining room table for you and your family? Okay, I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't know if I'll say this earlier in the pod or not. We haven't recorded the open with Ashley and Mary Kay yet, but just I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not a turkey guy. I'm, I'm in. Just I'm not. not. It's not. No, it's okay. I mean, I get it. You got to have turkey. I understand. I acknowledge it. I'll even eat it. Not a turkey guy. Doesn't do much for me. Yeah, I'm with you. No, I'm, I, 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 I give me some honey baked ham right now. Uh, that's yes. I, I'm with. I'm with you. So I, I couldn't See, agree more. I knew there was a. I knew there was a reason I liked you. All this time, it was because you're a ham guy. Well, it's been it's been a while since we've been seeing out of the eye in these questions, so that's good. All right, that's good. So, what do you okay. give your top three. Right. top three? Top three that I gotta have. Um, so I'm a I like sweet potatoes, and my grandma now my mom they they make them with the marshmallows. They do like the they put the marshmallows in them. Uh, we'll sit so in like, there. Uh, that's a big okay. one. Yeah, uh, a little brown sugar. sweet potatoes. Brown, brown, yeah. brown sugar, brown sugar. I got you. Okay. Okay. Um, are, I feel like you got to have rolls. I know that's boring, but like the roll is just such a good complimentary like piece. It's not like a favorite food, but it's just a perfect complimentary piece. You're just trying to keep everything together. You're trying to tie it yeah. all together. All right. Like, like you got to have the roll in there, but I don't know if that's green bean casserole is a good one. I don't know if I'd put roll on the list. Roll is just kind of, ah, I would not the holder. The, the roll is the holder and like, you know, the sweet potatoes or like the kicker and, you know, or maybe think, the rolls, the th- long snapper. I did not think you were going to go sweet potato, green bean casserole. That's not where I thought you were headed. All right. Solid. Yeah. I'm also a cranberry sauce guy. You I, like the I like con- cranberry sauce. The congealed can that comes with a can. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I love it when it still looks like the can. That's the best part. There's, I don't even know if I like it that much. I just like that there's something sitting at the table that looks like the can. Like, oh, it does- you know what? I'm taking green bean casserole off the list. I'm saying stuffing. Oh yeah, you got to go stuffing, which is why you got to have the turkey. Got <laughs> fair. Okay, yeah. so that's a pretty solid right. list. What, what have you got? Well, I got to go. My number one is potatoes, like an au gratin, like cheesy potato. Like and I actually like it. My wife makes it with like it's like the I like the I like a diced potato, like a square, small diced potato, not like not a disc. So I want I want a small potato, but starch. I got to have a heavy starch with cheese. Uh, I'm going to go ham, but I'm going to go the edge of the ham. I need the crust on it. I need the honey-baked ham crust, uh, pure sugar crust. I need that. Um, and then my third one is, it's I'm also boring too, but just to start off, I need the salad, like the big salad with all the with all the fixings. So just start off. So, uh, but again, I'm not a huge turkey fan. We have it, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a, a ham guy. But I would say, without question, my favorite is the potatoes for sure. Okay, so here's the other question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Are you guys early afternoon eaters or is it like dinner? No, we're, th- we're, we're three o'clockers. What about you? Okay. Yeah. We're, we're like o'clockers. two, two mm-hmm. thirty, something like that. Early, early. Yeah, and and then like later, later you make like the sandwich. Uh, that's when the turkey is good. You do the sandwich later. Let me tell you this. Friday so take, and Saturday and Sunday, you're doing the sandwiches. So take this one. Do the, do the um, stuffing. You got a, you got a waffle maker. Do a stuffing inside, so make a waffle the next day, and then put the turkey on top. That's the that's the go to right there. The next day, that's a okay. That's a it's All a game right. changer. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> so, a wa- so wait, 
You're, you're just it, making a regular waffle, right? No, you're making a stuffing waffle. The, with the you're stuffing? Making, you put stuffing on there, close it. Let it work. Let it, let it cook. As you would say, let it cook. <laughs> let, it, let it cook <laughs> and then put the turkey on top. I'm telling you, game changer. Crust, game changer. Okay. All right. And wow. We'll talk about We'll talk about it on uh, uh, next Tuesday, and you're gonna be like, you were right on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can pull that off here before uh, before I got to go out to practice on Friday. Uh, okay, wow, I'm actually I'm like floored. I'm blown away by this. I don't even know where to go from here. Questions um, are getting better. We're starting to get a little bit. We're starting to get a little bit better on our questions. I like it. We're getting a little bit more, yeah. you know, in depth. I like it. Well, not just for football talk, but for cooking tips now. Yeah. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, become a Football Insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And, of course, find us on Instagram, Orange and Brown Talk. Find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com over there to find us. Uh, for Lance, for Mary Kay, for Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 